0: Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to know more about that company, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. My co-hosts tonight are Brad and Kerry Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want to find out more about them and their company, check out muskiemayhemtackle.com. Our guest tonight is a guide out on St. Clair. He's also won more boats than Brad owns. And he does a little bit of walleye and smallmouth guiding on top of muskie guiding. It's Spencer Berman from Spencer's Angling Adventures. Spencer, how are you doing tonight?
1: Good, good. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Thanks a lot for coming out and spending some time with us. Hopefully, by the time we're done, people will learn a little bit more about you and Lake St. Clair. Sounds good. So, Spencer, since you are a first-time guest, typically we start out with a background story on them. How about you go down and uh, go down the road a little bit and tell us about kind of what got you started in the muskie game? maybe where you started and what led you to St. Clair?
1: Well, I grew up south of uh, Lake St. Clair, south of Detroit, between Detroit and Toledo, kind of at the uh, right where the Detroit River meets uh, Lake Erie there. and grew up fishing. My grandfather was a big fisherman, got me into it, and uh, just uh, kind of snowballed from there and started doing some tournaments, uh, some bass tournaments when I was a kid, and then that kind of snowballed, and I kind of did the typical progression i caught a i like bass fishing a lot and caught a pike thought that was bigger and cooler and then caught a muskie and thought that was even better and you know kind of went from there and as far as the guiding thing started it, it honestly started for me with tournaments i started doing cmtt's when i was 16 17 years old as well as some tournaments down in indiana and actually some wmts as well the old wisconsin muskie trail and ended up having some success early and uh kind of just decided that was a, a route that I kind of wanted to go. The, the guiding is uh, obviously the, the probably the most common career path if you want to try to make a living in the muskie industry. And I uh, started out going to school for fish and fisheries. Well, I wound up with a business degree, but still managed to guide the whole time when I was all through school and uh, just walked away from college uh, at the end and started guiding full time and been doing it ever since.
2: You know, Spencer, one of the things uh, that I know about you too is that you've kind of bounced around throughout uh throughout your career as far as fishing you know you, you were over in Indiana you were up here in mm-hmm. Minnesota uh where else were you maybe fishing I don't know if you were, did you guide in Wisconsin at all
1: uh, I was licensed all four years that I was there I didn't really do much of it but uh for me I mean I I always wanted to fish St. Clair and Detroit um, ironically when uh When I first started guiding, there really wasn't any demand for it um, on the lakes in Lake St. Clair, especially for casting, which is what I was interested in. There's always been a a big boat trolling scenario over here, but uh, there was really no interest in casting. I started out doing the Indiana deal uh, because it was only an hour and, or like two hours and 10 minutes away from where I grew up, so it's pretty close, and uh, and it was all a casting bite, and that really, really intrigued me, and it was a different season. It's an an early spring thing, starting March, and you know, normally by June, it's too warm. So it fills that void for you. I tried to kind of do a little bit on Lake St. Clair, uh, way early in the mid 2000s. And there was just no clientele. And I didn't have any sort of a name going for me to try to draw clients in. So that was why I ended up doing the Minnesota thing. Um, it also helped too that I was going to school in, in Wisconsin. So I, I was close to that as well. So that, that made it a little more convenient, made a little more sense. And then, uh, what I kind of did was, uh, you know, as i you know progressed in my career i started to build more of a name i started writing for Muskie hunter and you know get a little bit more notoriety and was able to kind of get clients to follow me more to where i wanted to go rather than to where the bite was um, and managed to kind of transition slowly from minnesota or to lake st Clair, which is obviously like where I, I kind of wanted to be and the fishing had always been good i mean back even back when i first uh, you know kind of started to push it we were still catching fish it's just you know, it's tough to get people to go to somewhere they're not really familiar with. It always had that stereotype of skinny fish and trolling. So, you know, once we kind of broke through that, it was it was, it was was gangbusters.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make, Spencer. You know, one of the things that I can say is that, uh, you know, when you first came on board at the muskie shows and what have you, I know that you were pushing the Minnesota thing for a while. But when you switched gears to St. Clair, the neat thing about you is that uh, – you were going after the casting fish and versus the trolling. And trolling has always been the the big key over on St. Clair, but you kind of broke the grain there, if you will. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that's pretty interesting how you kind of went against the grain, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd always been more of a caster. And, I mean, I did plenty of trolling growing up on St. Clair, but uh, the casting always kind of played a little bit more and still does. And, uh, you know, the big thing for me was just kind of, you know, it wasn't necessarily that, uh, you couldn't catch fish doing it. and You know, it's not like we, we didn't read you know, design the whole lake. Like you can, it's still a phenomenal trolling lake. All we did was just realize that if you you know you use the right, right techniques, the right concepts, you're not afraid of the open water. You can have a great casting bite as well. And it turns out to be some of the best casting, you know, waters that you're going to come about. It's just kind of getting used to the concept of getting away from the structure and, uh, And, you know, doing something that's maybe a little bit different than what you do on most other muskie fisheries. Yeah, I think
2: it's interesting. You, You kind of touched on it right there. But let's talk about the structure. One of the things that you're basically saying is that it is open water. And what is it that you're actually looking at and casting towards? I mean, what are you doing when you get out there?
1: Well, I mean, originally, like when I first started doing, I mean, we were just kind of doing more shoreline perimeter fishing. And, uh, you know, that's, that's when I started out as a kid fishing anchor Bay and fishing the North end of the lake some of the shallow weeds. And and it was good fishing, but it wasn't anything, you know, truly, you know, better than a lot of the uh, the other fisheries out there, Uh, you know, nothing really kind of to write home about what really kind of changed everything and, and opened everything up for me was when we, you know, kind of just moved out to the open water and started casting in those open water areas that uh that we've been trolling for years you know that was the big thing and and the key out there in open water is finding bait fish um and the way you find bait fish is mostly when it comes to watercolor looking for the right color water uh which is dictated by the wind and the conditions and things like that but if you find the right watercolor you'll find the bait you'll find the fish and it turns out it doesn't matter if there isn't a rock weed or any sort of contour within miles, as long as there's bait fish around, there's going to be musties, and you can catch them regardless of the lack of structure. So that water color, what can you tell us about that? Well, that's something that's kind of unique to St. Clair. We have, I mean, the lake has a ton of water, literally at all times right now, that is gin clear, bathtub-type water. Although it's neat that you can see the bottom, it's incredibly hard to trick the fish and that kind of stuff. And the, the predominant forage on Lake St. Clair is shad and the shad and and even the other bayfish like perch and things, they they don't feel very comfortable in gin clear water. They don't feel like they can hide. They can't get away, you know, from the predators. And also things like shad or filter feeders, they need microparticles and plankton in the water to feed. So you're looking for that dingier water. Traditionally, we're looking for water in the two to four foot range. There's different areas of lakes that have kind of different averages. The water that comes down from here on tends to be a little bit cleaner. So Normally, ideal water is going to be more three to five foot versus on the east side that's away from the flow. It tends to have a little bit more algae, a little bit warmer, a little more algae bloom in it. That tends to be a little bit dingier, so your perfect water is maybe a little, bit, a little bit darker, more in the two to four foot range. But you're always looking for water with some good color to it. Um, unfortunately, if you get too much color, you get beyond two foot, uh, especially like 18 inches. The casting bite becomes really tough. The the bait the fish just don't seem to be able to track your baits down. I think you you tend to run out of room. They it takes them too long to dial in on them, and uh, the trollers can get them. I mean their their baits are going same depth, same speed for miles long, and they can dial in and find those baits. But for casting, once it gets beyond that, too, you know, as far as too dirty, then you you got to look for somewhere else to cast. But traditionally, like I said, five to you know two to five foot is is about perfect for casting, and and, and you're always looking for those big balls of bait.
2: What is the deepest water on Saint Clair, Spencer?
1: Uh, deepest natural right now is about twenty-five. That's increased almost almost five feet from back when we were at Great Lake low point in two thousand twelve. Uh, the shipping channel is dredged. There's a couple spots that hit about forty. Most of it's between thirty-three and thirty-six, depending on where you are in the in the channel. Um, and then if you get in the rivers, there's some deeper pockets than that, but. For the most part, the lake all varies between, you're fishing mostly between 15 and 22 foot of water or so.
2: So the primary bait fish is shad. Um, is there any other bait
1: fish out there that you kind of target when you're searching? I mean, you'll target anything that, that, you, that you can get on, really. I mean, I'd probably say the, you know, the perch are, are a factor. Right now, though, the perch populations are not great around the Great Lakes and think there's no exception just because the walleye population is at an all-time high. and We've seen around Lake Erie and Saginaw, all of them, that when the walleye go up, the perch go down. The one that has been a little interesting for us to keep track of is there's been a couple studies done that show that the explosion of the white bass population is definitely a, a key forage for muskies. Um, that, that is one of the primary forages that they will target now, most of those white bass, though, are eating the juvenile shad, the tiny, tiny shad, you know, one, two, two inches or so. So they tend to kind of go in, you know, kind of go together. The only other one that's, you know, not something that we can really target, but it is something that we've seen in a lot of the old taxidermists we'll talk about that did a lot of skin mounts is that uh, one of the primary forage fish you'll find in some of the bigger muskies are going to be sheep that they those fish do eat a lot of juvenile sheephead for whatever reason that is something that really appeals to them
2: interesting so you know it's it's always been kind of a tradition from what i hear to use a lot of smaller baits out there and i know that you you break in those rules and i know some of the trollers are as well it's always been really interesting in my mind anyway i know that like some of the trolling baits are four to six inches long and I mean, you've kind of broke the code on that when it comes to casting. I know you're using a lot of pounders and you're using some bigger blades today and things
1: like that. But tell me a little bit about that. Well, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting because, in my opinion, actually, you're absolutely 100% correct. That's always been a St. Clair stereotype. But if you look at what has been firing the last, you know, 8 to 10 years on Claire, it, it really has proven that that really wasn't a thing. The reason that it was so predominant, in my opinion, is that when you talk about the trolling, those six-inch wood crankbaits have more erratic action than you can get out of larger crankbaits. You just can't get a 10-inch crankbait to do the same stuff, the same left to right. That's the big thing with trolling on Claire, is you you want your baits to hunt left to right in the water. and and Until... You know, some of the roller pin baits that we've seen come about the last five years or so, we've never seen a big bait do that. And as soon as those came about, we realized that a lot of those fish, even the smaller ones, will eat big 10 to 12 inch crankbaits when you troll them if they've got the right action. And when we had bucktails first come about, the double 10s, they started trolling, the trolling girls and the spankies and all that. We realize that they'll eat big bucktails as well, so it's more action driven than anything else. And we've done the same thing with our casting. When you're when you're casting the big rubber, I mean, I, I start out with pounders right out of the gate, and I've never had any problem, you know, getting numbers of fish, you know, relative to the day and the conditions. But never feel like I'm handicapping myself with with pounders. In fact, I've fished a lot of tournaments that are are point driven, where you need to catch fish from thirty inches and above throwing pounders and, and have done well they'll eat them it's more in my opinion about the action of the bait and what you get your baits to do in the water that's that's what always drove that small bait you know kind of craze on saint Clair. well i think we share kind of some of the same
2: um, feelings when it comes to size of baits i i usually tend to go to a bigger bait and i know that you've done that out there as well
1: absolutely absolutely i mean i I, I, I told the story the other day when we were, I, I spoke uh, at, at a Chicago show and somebody asked me what I do I downsize early season I told him it was like two or three years ago I started out opening day and the guy asked me in the parking lot I told him I didn't I'm going to start out throwing a pounder in about 20 minutes after I get out there and I made four casts and I caught a smallmouth bass so <laughs> it just goes to show you that even a pounder is not that big and when a fish really wants to get it he's going to get it
2: hands down I
1: I always find it
2: so interesting I. Honestly, I don't think we can physically throw a big enough bait if we
1: wanted to. You know, absolutely not. Um, your 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 shoulders and back can't handle what these fish would eat. And if you if you live bait at all, I mean, I've I've used uh, northern pike and things and in 33 inches and caught mid forty inch muskies on them. I mean, they're it is amazing what they'll eat. And if you look at some of the the fish that have been that have, that have died or been taken in for records and some of the things they find in their stomachs, I mean, 22, 24-inch, you know, carp and things like that. I mean, these are five, six-pound fish. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the, the the true size of a big bucktail or a pounder or, you know, big medusa is just not really that big compared to what some of these fish are eating. That is true. I would agree
2: with that 100%. So let's shift back. Let's talk about locating bait. We talked a little bit about the watercolor. How much is your electronics playing a factor in that?
1: I mean, it's everything. The electronics are absolutely huge. Side imaging was probably, you know, side imaging honestly really gave us the ability to do what we're doing in the casting bite. I'm not saying we couldn't have had success without it. But uh, when I was first starting to get that bite going in the mid to late 2000s, um, that was right when side imaging came out and that was what really gave us the ability to find those fish out in open water with some consistency where you could can, you know really do what we're doing and and have enough success to to make it go you know the big thing there is that you know the the shad like to suspend high as they always do and when you're in a lake that's so shallow if all you have is basic 2D sonar that's straight underneath the boat so many of those schools of bait fish are in the top 10 foot and they're just not going to let you get straight over top of them. They're going to move left or right, kind of like part like the Red Sea. And you're just never going to know they're there. Side imaging has, has changed that and allowed us to do it. But but honestly, the other big thing for me is that I've, I've got a great network of people and I got several trolling boats like Jason Patano and Ed Pasco and that that are out trolling, you know, most of the time. And, you know they're they're locating fish for us as well and those big trolling boats cover a lot of water and can help us dial in as well as the other casters i work with and you know when you hire a guide on lake st clair that's that's honestly one of the biggest things that you get that you you cannot necessarily duplicate on your own is, is the network of information helping you to stay on not only the most fish but the biggest fish and you know, I don't, it doesn't matter how good you are. If, you, if you're only as good as your network when you're dealing with a lake that's this big, especially when it's got no structure and the fish move around this drastically. Networking is key. I don't
2: care if you're on a 3,000-acre lake or St. Clair. It doesn't matter. Um, networking <laughs> is definitely a huge help. How many miles are you typically putting on a
1: day? I mean,
2: you're cruising some some miles, I know, every day.
1: Oh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of driving. I know that last year my... My hummingbird kept track of how many miles I did. It just has a a little odometer. And I was just shy at 9,000 miles on my boat with my graph turned on. And that includes drifting and driving. You know, it's a lot. I mean, I'd say the average day, it's nothing to do 80 to 90 miles total. By the time you're 22-3 in, 22-3 back, and then moving around throughout the day. And, you know, it's a lot of driving. And the unique thing about St. Clair is that, you know, we're, 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 we're a third of the lake in Michigan, two-thirds in Canada. And uh, because of the border situation, not only is it a pain to get across the border, but from a guide standpoint, legally, we cannot go and touch foot that shore in Canada and, and still work without different work permits and things. So we have to do all of our miles via boat, not via truck so it's a lot different than some of the Mille and Green Bays where you might have to drive somewhere and then do short boat rides. We do a lot of long boat rides. We're putting a lot of miles on, we're chasing those fish down, and really working hard to try to make sure we stay on them and burning a lot of gas and things like
0: that. So when you say you put on 9,000 miles now, I'm assuming you don't do a lot of trolling, is that right?
1: I do very little, very little. And, and a lot of the trolling I've done now is, then transition more into a big boat setting. Um, they're they're just so much they're way more productive and especially when it comes to bigger fish. So I try to push most of my clients if you want to do trolling I I'd, I'd recommend getting getting on with one of the big boats or things and I do I offer some trips where I I'll I'll jump on with them, but for the most part for me trolling it's very very limited, maybe only a couple of days
0: a year. So Spencer, one question we get a lot on the podcast via email is the type of gear that guys are using to chase these fish down. So for the beginning angler, not not only just for St. Clair, but just the beginning angler in general, what kind of rods and reels and, and uh, gear are you using out there on St. Clair to target these fish?
1: Well, I mean, when you're talking St. Clair, uh, assuming you're talking casting, it's pretty much all a rubber deal. So when you deal with rubber, you need really heavy stuff. The baits are heavy. For me, I'm running all uh, uh, Custom X and, and Chaos Tackle Rods. I like I like heavier rods for most of my rubber. I like nine mostly nine footers, nine and a half. Mostly two X and three X are my favorites. Uh, but we also do have a decent bucktail bite. The nine over ten musky mayhem bucktails were on fire for us last year. For those nine and a half foot, I like heavy rods. Even uh, even a heavy action for me with those bucktails is perfect. I think a lot of guys use a little bit light lighter stuff than they probably should when it comes to bucktails. Because for me. When you're taking them into a hard figure eight, I don't want that rod tip to bend over too hard collapse your figure eight. So like I said, heavy nine, nine and a half foot rods for those tails as well. And overall, it's just, you got to have very, very stout stuff. The rubber is really, really hard on all of your gearing. Uh, When you're ripping baits, it's torquing the antireverse every time you pull. And when the bait's backlash in the air and things, it just, it just eats those reels alive. So Good, good quality reels. I like the Revo Beast a lot, the Shimano Trankses, and also I probably use a, a Calcutta TE, the old standard standby, probably more than any other reel. I know it doesn't really help because you can't buy them anymore, but I, you know, we all hoard them. I've got like 17 of them. I have not rebuilt every year. They're about as, as solid of a reel as you're going to get. And one thing that I do a little bit differently than a lot of the guys, I'm Claire, is I tend to fish a little bit slower than some of the guys. I definitely does. not like some days, they want it faster, but there are a lot of days that, especially for some of those big fish, um, the slower retrieve reels and getting that bait down there a little bit can make a big difference. And it's something that shouldn't be overlooked.
0: For like Super Braid or anything like that, what type, what brand are you running? i was assuming you're probably running 100 pound with everything that you're throwing.
1: I use all cortland and I use 80 pound. 80 pound Master Braid has always worked great for me. I have. Almost no breakages on the year, and whenever I do, it's almost always because I get lazy and don't retie enough. But, uh I only have it, it's amazing stuff. I've used it for a long time. It's always been a staple in the musky world. I think it's about a good good a line as you're going to get if you go with any other brand. I, I would recommend 100, but with those, I 80 the 80s been more than sufficient for me, even throwing pounders, you know, all day long every day. Yeah, really,
2: what it comes down to when it comes to diameter of the line, you know, 80 to 100. It's mostly for for the fishermen more than it is for the fish. I think a lot of people get confused that, you know, muskies are going to pull that hard. I need 80 to 100-pound test. No, it's for that backlash. Losing baits is what it really boils down to.
1: No, oh, absolutely, 100%. I mean, you look at what the saltwater guys bring in 200-pound tarpon with. I mean, you don't need, the you know, the real heavy line to fight the fish at all. It's 100% for the cast. You're completely right. It's for that backlash. You know, that's, that's what really is, is the reason for the heavier stuff. And when you're dealing with, you know, bucktails and things like that, you can get away with a little bit lighter stuff. But when, a, when you take a pounder and you load that rod up, that bait's traveling 35, 40 miles an hour through the air, and all of a sudden it backlashes and stops on a dime. That's so much more torque traveling through the air than a fish is ever going to have in the water. Uh, that's why you need that, that extra heavy line so you're not donating a bunch of baits to the bottom of the lake. You got it.
2: Hey, another reel that I tried this last summer and uh used it throughout the whole season without an issue, um, was Shimano's New Conquest. Price point it's about six thirty, six forty retail, but I'm telling you, Spencer, if you get a chance, you should try one. They're incredible. Super, super really? smooth. It reminds me of the um the T E when it first came out. I'm a huge T E fan. I'm I'm like you, I've probably got twenty of them and it's my go-to reel for the most part. But this new Conquest uh, has got my attention, I can tell you that.
1: Well, it's good to know because I always – it's tough right now to find. There's such a huge push to the high-speed stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I use high-speed reels a lot. But there it, it's almost like we've kind of forgotten about some of the mid-retrieve reels and how they do still have a place um, you know, in the arsenal, especially when you deal with the fall or you start wanting to fish rubber a little bit deeper, I right? I remember I was shocked a couple of years ago. I looked back and saw how many big fish were getting caught by guys that are seventy year olds plus. it's like, maybe there's something to be said for fishing a little bit deeper than everybody else.
2: Um, <laughs> one of the things that I will say is that I think I like the te sometimes with blades when I'm like slow rolling. And the reason I like it that way is I can tell when my blades are engaged. A lot of the high speed reels you don't even feel your blades.
1: Yep. I, I completely agree. And especially you get the night fishing and things like that. I mean, you don't, you don't want a you know, a high speed, 45 inches of crank reel. I mean, that's, that's the same scenario. It's all about fishing slow. I mean, when you're fishing at night, it's all about who can fish the slowest and stay over top of the structure. And, you know, it's, everything's got a time and place. I mean, it's it's no different than tools and, you know, for a carpenter, you wouldn't use the, you would not use the same tools for every project or every application Reels are no different. Unfortunately that means you need quite a few and if you're gonna do everything right, that's that's the way you gotta you gotta treat it.
0: So Spencer, jumping back to rods for a second, I heard you talk about the Chaos Tackle Rod. Did you get a chance to use Rick's new twenty twenty rods for last season?
1: Um, he only had one or two of them to my knowledge. He did jump in the boat with me last August and I did
0: throw it for most of the day that we
1: fished together. Very, very nice rod. Very, very light. We'll see. um, you know, it's, it's high-modulus graphite, so that's really cool. And the telescoping and the you know the ability to make them that light is, is very unique, and I'm I'm really excited to try them. Unfortunately, like I said, I did not really get a chance to really kind of put them to the test last year, but I have a couple coming, and I'm excited to get them on the water this year.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm hoping to get my hands on one or two of them at the shows this year. I think that they're going to be—I really like the salt stick rods a little bit. I used them last year. I think I got a few of them in late August, and— they were really nice. I did think they were maybe just a tad heavy, and I think this is going to fix any of those problems.
1: Yeah, that's that's the nice thing about that—the that higher modulus graphite—that it's a little bit lighter, and that uh, you know it should should help alleviate some of the the weight concerns. But uh, you know, assuming they hold up and everything else, they, I'm I'm excited to use them. So.
0: I was gonna say not that the other rods were ridiculously heavy, but you know, it is sometimes when you're throwing big baits all day long, if you can take a little bit off of it, it always helps the fatigue vector a little bit.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that every day with guys. So
2: maybe it's that you're just getting a little old, Jeff.
0: A little old. Getting a lot old. Have you seen my beard lately? <laughs> 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 I came to Chicago and I didn't I usually before I leave town I, I, I'll shave a little bit and I didn't do it before we were setting up, and Steve and Kyle kept giving me a hard time about how much gray was in my beard because usually if you <laughs> cut it a little short, you don't notice it quite as much.
2: Nobody gave me any crap about being gray in the beard.
0: That's because you just wore into it really well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you're okay. musky fishermen, and you guys run musky businesses, so that'll that'll make you go gray early.
0: That's a fact. Just a, couple, that is a fact. Just a couple emails I got today would make me go, go gray a little bit.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about a couple of the emails that you shared with us. They're interesting.
0: Yeah, it's potential those would be the ones. <laughs> that, that's my way of coping, you know?
2: So, Spencer, why don't you give us a little layout of what your season looks like? I know that you do some walleye fishing. I know you do some bass fishing and, and guiding as well. So why don't you kind of throw it out there on on what your normal season looks like, how it kind of runs?
1: Yeah, so on Lake St. Clair, uh, we're the same as any of the other northern zones. We cannot start busky fishing until the first Saturday in June. So I start out my season doing walleye on the Detroit River. Uh, we start normally the last week, week and a half in March, and then we'll do that through the beginning of June. Um, I start doing some some smallmouth in May uh, through the like beginning of June. And then once the muskie season kicks in, then for me, it's you know June, middle of June through the middle of December uh, is all muskies. And we normally fish to December fifteenth. Uh, that's our closing day for Canada. And uh, most years we can fish all the way till the end. We're lucky that we get to, we get that we have enough moving water, and Huron takes forever to cool down. So normally we can stay out till the end. I do
2: have another question about Lake St. Clair, and I know that I've heard you and Jason talking about it briefly, um, but I don't have all the answers. So it sounds like you're kind of on a trend of getting higher water, and I'm wondering how that's affecting things.
1: It's changed everything. <laughs> it's, um, the Great Lakes are, you know, we've gone from record lows in 2012 to record highs last year. Unfortunately, the way it looks right now, I think we're going to break our records from last year this year on a lake like Clare, it, it makes an enormous difference probably for some of the other great lakes just because of our average our average depth is is so so much smaller i mean at one point our average depth on Clare was you know only 11 feet and now we're we're up to 15 16 foot of, of an a, for an average depth so you look at your overall water volume it has increased 30 35 almost even 40 percent uh especially if we go up this year and that's a forty percent increase. If you talk about a forty percent increase in any lake, you're going to have a drastic change in fishing, uh, a little bit different than when you're dealing with Lake Lake Michigan or something like that, where your average depth is hundred to feet deep. And a couple feet on top or below, it's not necessarily as the world in how the fish move. But for us, it's huge. it's It's really changed our water clarity. Our water doesn't get as stained as it used to. I've been fishing a lot more clearer water than i would have ever chose to target years ago Uh, just because there used to be a more of a stained water option now i do find myself fishing more six to seven foot of clarity just because that's what's there that's the dirtiest water i can find and also our weed growth is way down the amount of weeds in the lake is, is way down and there always was areas uh, that would help to position those fish uh, in open water with the weeds. Sometimes they'd be on the weeds, and sometimes the weeds would more so serve as a barrier and kind of position those fish inside of them and things. And that's kind of all gone. So it's definitely caused the fish to roam more. It's caused a lot of the spots that, you know, four or five years ago, we'd have a mile by two mile area that was holding a lot of fish in the month of August. And then a year later, that spot is useless and the fish moved. Somewhere else, and it just keeps on kind of rewriting the book, and you know, causing you to kind of keep changing what you're doing. And you know, it's uh, it's it's been frustrating. It's definitely caused kind of all of our numbers to drop a little bit, and uh, uh, we still are catching them, but uh, you know, make definitely makes us work a little bit harder for them.
2: Spencer, is there no structure whatsoever in Saint Clair?
1: As far as contour goes, no. There's really not. Um, there's the Bell River Hup that's a foot and a half tall. That is pretty much it. Uh, until you get to the channels and the rivers, there is some weeds that come up around the lake. It just kind of depends on where in the year. And obviously, those are those have kind of gone down with the high water. But uh, no, in, in general, there's there's really not a whole lot out there. A lot of what we fish though is is bottom contour or, or sorry bottom content change. You'll have hard bottom areas, soft bottom areas. You know, areas there'll be mud and buck that will grow weeds, and areas of sand that. You know, when the wind blows will cause some stain and, and bait fish will congregate to it. But uh as far as actual contour structure, no, there's really not. How
2: about bugs then? You said hard bottom versus mud bottom, is there bug hatches then that, that are holding bait fish that are holding predator fish?
1: Uh yes so we have a huge Mayfly hatch, pretty not quite the same as Erie, but it, it, it is massive, unfortunately. It happens across the lake so you know, so universally that it doesn't tend to have a huge positioning aspect to the fish. Um, it is something we deal with from a musky standpoint. It, it doesn't necessarily uh, move the fish around. There is times that during the mayfly hatch, we'll see a really good evening bite and uh, we'll see a, a lot slower morning bite, obviously, because those fish are, are feeding in the early evening when the mayflies are hatching and the the perch and the shad and all that are, are gorging on them and the, they become easy targets so that'd be probably the biggest thing is that when, when we have big mayfly hatches we try to tell our clients to, to let us sleep in and you know fish more of a you know 10 a.m to 10 10 p.m type schedule rather than getting out there at 6 a.m when all the fish are full and nothing's really happening
2: with that spencer are you doing any night fishing at all out there
1: Um, I honestly have tried it quite a bit. I mean, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I I guided Minnesota for three years on and off. And you know, if if you don't night fish there, you don't catch a lot of fish. So it becomes kind of a staple for you at times in the summer. And I've I've tried to apply that out here a lot. And as the pressure has increased over the last decade, I keep going back to it and, and giving it a shot. It's been very, very hit or miss. I mean, I I can honestly tell you I've had no great nights where it really was a game changer like it was in Minnesota at times. I've definitely caught some fish and I've caught a few nice fish, but uh, overall, I've never really seen it where it's significantly better than the daytime. And I've seen a lot of times where it's much worse. And obviously, from a logistical standpoint, it's much tougher before things go wrong clients aren't paying attention you can't see the fish at both sides and things like that so it, you know if you're comparing apples to apples you'd always prefer to get them during the day i i'd say it's. Uh, i don't see any scenarios where it truly is better at night you really have to night fish so it makes sense
2: it's just interesting to me you know I, how about trollers are those guys uh doing any night trolling ever yeah i mean they've all tried it
1: i've i've been on jason's big boat we've tried we've trolled till two three in the morning and uh you know, I, I honestly can tell you that I mean, the best, it seems like the best they could, they've they ever really managed to pull off is more or less the equivalent of a good daytime bite for that week. So if, if they were getting, you know, let's say they're getting 10 fish a day trolling, those 70 fish, you know, you go out and troll all night long and you might get 8 to 10. So, I mean, there's been no times where you doubled or tripled those numbers. And there's been a lot of times I've seen where it's been significantly worse. Also, it, it, as a guide, too, it's tough. I mean, just people's schedules and things. and A lot of times at St. Clair, we do have a very good evening bite that last hour of light to, you know, when it truly is pitch black or so, uh, is a prime, prime window. So, you know, that bite is always very, very good. And whenever you have a bite window like that, especially an hour and a half long good feeding window, you can't expect those fish just to keep biting forever. You truly have, to, in my opinion, you have to give them several hours for another window to start. So now you're start talking two, three in the morning to wait for that next window, and after a long day out in the sun, it's it's tough to you know to really want to stay out there that long, especially when you know it cuts into the trip for the next day and things like that. So it makes it logistically tough, and when you don't see the results being any better than the daytime fishing, it's it's hard to really push. I I truly don't think that it's it's really worth pursuing, uh, you know, on a major basis. And, you know, I, I'll try it at times, but it's not something I would really recommend people going after if they're coming out to Claire.
2: Well, I can remember in the mid two thousands, we basically lived like vampires fish all night and sleep during the day. And there's Um, nothing there.
1: (laughs) I was 07, 08, 09. And yeah, it was, that's exactly what it was. July and August, man. It's, a ton of night fishing. you do during the day and you catch them at night. And I've never seen anything like that on Claire, so. Well, that's interesting. But St. Clair, honestly, St. Clair is always, I mean, you talk to any of the old timers around here that the fish out here for, you know, since the dawn of time, they always say that, you know, St. Clair fish love sun. And if you look, you know, look through the internet, look at all the pictures that guys like me and via Post or Jason Post, it's amazing how many really big fish you see from St. Clair that get caught in high sky conditions that you can just tell is you know it's bright sun you know sometimes not even any wind or anything like that and you know big fish are moving and you know the pictures prove it and the majority of the fish that look like nighttime pictures honestly are, are caught in the evening at least they are for me and for all the guys that i know out here you get that yeah. flash at low light and it looks like night and that's when most of them are coming from
2: it's interesting you bring that up because i know i've looked at all of my pictures over the years and my two biggest fish i've got a pair of 55 and a halves and both of them came on bright sunny days relatively calm it really wasn't windy one was in july and one was in october and both of those days were bright sunny days and as you go through all your pictures from over the years i mean don't get me wrong there's some 50 inch fish and and really good fat fish you know that have been on cloudy days and so on and so forth windy days whatever it might be but the real just to it the majority of them come on those really bright calmer days for whatever reason
1: yeah and say, i mean st Clair's always been notorious for that and i think right now with the high water and the clear water i definitely would say that we do a little bit better when we have some wind because it helps cut down light penetration and gets the water a little bit more stained but in general like i said sunny days with a little bit chop that's that's perfect conditions for me
2: so i've got a another question i was standing by you spencer um at the chicago Muskie show a week ago and mm-hmm. uh a guy came up and he said hey uh somebody's might fish with you spencer and, and he said oh yeah who is that and, and he was thinking of names and he was telling you and yeah they they did okay they only got three there is this huge conception that when they go, people come to St. Clair, they're going to get six, eight, ten fish in a day. How do you deal with
1: that? I mean, it's tough. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the grass is always greener scenario. I hear of guys going out in Mille Lacs catching, you know, one fish a month. And, you know, people say that, you know, you get three or four a day on St. Clair, and you know, you're lucky. And I kind of look at it like, oh, I wish I only had to catch one or two a month to be a, you know, to be a musky genius. Now, overall, it's just it's about managing expectations, and you you try to tell people that, I mean, the, the stories you hear about, you know, I mean, the, the 16, 18, 20, 22 fish days, you know, that we've had in the past. I mean, those are those are the day of days for, for guys like me that spend 160 days on the water. And, and one of the things that I like to tell people, it kind of rings home to guys that are fishermen, is that, you know, fishing in general, not just monkey fishing, but crappie fishing, bass fishing, walleye, you name it. It's not a game of averages. I mean, it's not. It, it's a game of extremes. You have, you know, you have a bunch of walleye days. You catch a hundred fish, and then a couple of them that you can't get ten. Uh, and there's not necessarily, you know, when you say your average is, is forty, it's not. It's not actually forty. It's a bunch of days way over that. A bunch of days way under that. And with muskies, it's the same thing. You know, when you say that we averaged four fish a day last year, it's it's you know, I had I had a sixteen fish day last year. I had a fifteen fish day last year. And then you do the math on that And for every 16 fish day, you're going to have some donuts thrown in there to balance that out, to get to a four fish average. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And, but the nice thing about Claire is that no matter, you no know, matter how good or bad the conditions are, when you're dealing with trophy musky water, no matter where it is, even on the worst of days, you're still only one cast away from a great day because you could always land the lure next to a big hungry one or just, you know, piss one off, and before you know it, you got a giant in the bag, and you know, it doesn't matter if you caught one or you caught 20, if you get a big one, that's life's grand. I would agree with
2: that, and you can't catch them from the couch, so when's a good time to go fishing? Any minute
1: you got. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. It's amazing how many of our biggest fish always come on, you know, times and conditions that I would call less than ideal, so you just never know. You always got to go out there. I know it sounds like a guy cliche that you know we got to make a living every day but it is it is the truth i've caught so many of the biggest fish of the year and things like that on days that you know we i was you know conditions were tough and you were just kind of praying to put a couple in the boat and before you know it you, you know you get a 55 extra and it's like holy smokes i didn't see that coming
2: yeah the funny thing is spencer is when you've had two or three really bad days on the water usually it starts breaking loose a couple days after that you know and so the worst thing I'd like to hear is like, say I go to Lake of the woods for the week. Oh, you should have been here last week or man, it's been really good. And then you get there and it shuts off. So sometimes Completely. bad reports can be way better than a, than a good report.
1: I, I honestly, I, that's, I know it's kind of a guide pet peeve, but I, I hate it when clients ask me how it's been I really do. Um, Cause it just, if it's been good you don't get their expectations up because then you get into that whole like oh we only caught four we only caught five kind of thing um and if it's been bad then it it, it psychs them out before it's truly justified and so much of the time like said the 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 best conditions for you on on the days coming up that you're going to fish are bad conditions because it means that you know the fish are are ready to go and conditions are going to change and you know, there's just not too many times in muskie fishing where you're going to get a ten day stretch where they're just hammering every day. So you know, if it's been slow for a few days, that means it's about to change. Hopefully, it's a valid point.
2: I know Jeff has some more questions for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep quiet here for two seconds so that he can get one in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just gonna make a comment though, quick. Like I got to see the best and the worst of St. Clair when I was out there last summer. When I went out with Jason, we got yep we got one on day one. And of course, everybody thinks you're going to get 10. And then on day two, I think we got nine or 10. So it can happen out there. So that's why, I mean, I guess, how many people do you get uh, booking multiple days, Spencer? They pretty much just book one day.
1: No, pretty much. I would say 80 plus percent of our days, are, or our trips are multiple day. Um, I, it's very, very, very rare to have one day trips for us. Uh, it does happen. Also, we don't have a huge, huge local group so most of the guys are traveling so the the, that really obviously helps but normally it's two-day trips but i mean i've I've had guys from europe for two weeks at a time and i've got a handful of guys that come for a week every year the same weeks or so every year if you can handle the the abuse of throwing the big rubber and the big baits and big bucktails and stuff like that for, for days at a time that's never a bad way to go but i would definitely recommend at least two days just because it's a big body of water it's you know it, it's tough and you know if you're traveling to get here it really helps to at least you to do the two days to kind of insulate yourself as as you saw
0: yeah absolutely i w- I, mean, I was gonna say it too since if you didn't say it was if anybody's looking higher guide i would recommend getting two days also just for that reason because like i said sometimes they're just off we can't i mean just because you're a guide and you're fishing St. Clairs, i mean you can make them bite yeah and there's are
1: honest to god there's sometimes that we're just not on them i mean that they're just they were, they were here and you were there and you zig when you should have zagged or, or, or so much of the time you get, you know, you're there one day and you get one chance. And, you know, that was your shot at your big fish and the, either the fish jumps and throws it or just bad luck or you weren't paying attention or whatever it is. And that was it. And it all comes down to that one cast. and You know, the second day helps to give you maybe a couple more chances or another chance or something, maybe a chance at a redemption or a little more luck or something like that. You know put the odds in your favor a little bit more absolutely so you don't want to go all in on the first hand you got to play a couple
0: no doubt so i take that from you brad is that you're no you're no doubt is that what people give you a hard time about
2: you made me jump
0: i, I heard you say <laughs> no doubt you're where <laughs> you're rubbing off on me it's no good <laughs> now they're gonna give me a hard time or play drinking games with me
2: exactly
0: so Spencer, one question I used to ask on every podcast in the early going was about patterns and like when when is it you're going to cut bait on a pattern, whether it be location or bait specific. So let's just say, for example, you're you're getting them on pounders and you've gotten them on pounders for like three days. You know, the fourth day you've, I don't know, fished six, seven, eight hours and you haven't got one on a pounder. Would you have already have changed up off your pattern from there? How long do you ride a pattern out? Or are you so confident that eventually they're gonna you're going to find one to eat that day? That you're just gonna keep, you're just gonna stubbornly keep throwing that pounder, or any or any bait. I'm just using a pounder because I know you guys throw them a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll change up colors a lot more than I'll change up baits. Like, you know, medusas and bulldogs are the two staples for us, and then obviously bucktails, especially in the summertime, can play a role as well. For me, it's more about getting on fish and locating fish, uh, and then waiting for the windows to open. I'd say the the big thing that would really change patterns for me is if other people are catching fish and I'm not. So the nice thing as a guide with a good network is that there is literally never a day when I don't have multiple other boats in the water that I'm talking to that I trust and I know are telling me the truth. So if you've got five boats out there and, you know, trolling, casting, whatever, and nobody has a fish for hours on a lake like Claire, where you're expecting to catch a couple a day, then you know that nothing you're doing is wrong. They're just not biting. So it's not about changing up and finding the magic bait. It's about waiting them out, getting on fish, getting on a good pod, and then waiting for that window to turn on. But if you've got other people that are catching fish and you're not, then you better start you know, changing your cadence, maybe a little faster, slower, different size baits, different color baits. But for us, really, I mean, it, it, it is a narrow bait window on Claire. I mean, it's, it's rubber, it's bucktails, and then there's a few, you know, honorable mention type baits that are more specific to the scenario. But, I mean, that's pretty much the staples that, uh, you know, that, that fly for me pretty much no matter what the conditions are and what the bite's like.
0: So you mentioned Medusas, and I know a lot of people talk about pounders for the size of the baits they're throwing out on St. Clair. For people that are listening, what size Medusas are you throwing? Are you throwing the monsters or are you a husky or a regular type guy? No, um, I'm not a, I'm not a
1: big fan of the monsters. I throw them a lot. I do. I have caught a lot of fish on them. I struggle to hook up on them, though. Uh, not not struggle to get a bit. I struggle to keep fish pinned on them. And honestly, clients can't stand throwing them. So they are definitely a little bit tough on the angler and can be a little tough to get hooked in. So I throw mostly the huskies and the regulars. It seems like they they have good success rates, and my hookup rate's a little bit better, and they don't wear clients out nearly as quickly for me. And then, like for for the dog, we have a very very good mag dog bite that that can be real real strong, and it's pretty easy on clients. And then, obviously, the pounders are are always and put a lot of a lot of fish through the boat.
0: And then uh, another question I had was regarding color. So I saw when Jason and I were out there in last year, kind of opened my eyes up to how many natural colors you guys throw or you're trolling in that, in that aspect. Cause we didn't, I didn't spend any time casting. It was just strictly a trolling deal. Do, are uh-huh. you, are you more of a natural color guy with your rubber baits and your bucktails or are you kind of go against the grain as opposed to what the trollers do?
1: I would definitely say that the casting bite is less natural colors than the trolling bite is. There, there is two sides of it. I mean, obviously everybody knows black and orange and, and or for, for muskie caster and claire are, are just staples they've been you know volocker's probably been my top 50 inch producer for uh, since it's been out honestly um just year in year out not that it, we use it every single day it's definitely specific time but year in year out that puts more fish than any other color both bulldog and and medusa which is you know, that's black orange or the white belly so that's not natural at all with the water getting higher and clearer we have seen more natural colors come into play. The golds have really exploded. Um, we've seen the, you know, the smallmouth population is, is really high, and the walleye population is all-time high. I think that's part of the reason that we've seen that the golds really come into play a lot. But the, the blacks are, are, are always good, too. Anytime you got low light, I love throwing all-black rubber or all-black all uh, blades as well. But it, it's definitely a mix. I would say it's, it's not necessarily more natural versus uh, – versus bright, but it, it's more or less a mix of, you know, like I said, black, uh black orange, bollicker and uh, you know, things like that, as well as the walleye, the Cisco, stuff like that. So it's it's about a split for me. But it's mostly it's mostly conditional. What does the water look like? How dingy is it? Whenever you got more stained water the you know, the brighter stuff comes in and then when you got lower light, you know, darker baits are, are always good. And when you're dealing with high skies, clear water real natural stuff, the shag holes, the golds and things like that will, will play good. But, you know, never, never be afraid to throw an orange tail on St. Clair either. No matter what the conditions are, they'll, they'll put big fish in the boat at times.
0: So Spencer, we know that you're very well known for throwing rubber and a lot of guys struggle with the action, like what kind of action they put on a rubber bait. You want to talk a little bit about how you trigger fish with rubber? I mean, are you straight retrieving? You got some pull paws or are you just kind of mixing it up a lot? Why don't you talk a little bit about that, if you could?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, like, it's a, I'm very, very specific on how I work rubber. The big thing for me is I, I definitely think it's real important to always use the pause, and I like to have actually a little bit of slack in my line while the bait drops. I want that bait to free fall down in the water column, and then I want that bait to really jump and get that quick change of direction that you get when you go to rip with just a little bit of slack line in it, that's what gets you that quick direction change and causes that bait to really jump up in the water column. So you get that bait free falling straight down, and then jumping up when you kind of hit that bait with slack as you go to swing your rod into the next pull. Uh, I also don't like real long poles. I'm normally eighteen inches or so. I think that's real important on on St. Clair, getting those, getting that you know that sharp movement and that uh, those shorter swings. I don't know why actually the fish don't like long poles on Claire, but i can tell you you do four or five foot swings and it's amazing how how few fish you'll catch compared to the shorter pops but the biggest thing then when you start talking about other bodies of water especially fishing open water the the real slack line stuff gets a lot harder you got to keep a much tighter line if you're fishing over top of structure because obviously the slack line is going to allow that bait to free fall down and drop a lot quicker which on an open body of water like st clair where you don't have to worry about Getting tangled with weeds or hitting rocks, it gives you that ability. But in a lot of applications, when you're throwing over shallow weeds, shallow rocks, things like that, you keep the line a little bit tighter and try to work it over the structure. And you can kind of base your your amount of tension on on how shallow stuff you're trying to work the bait over. For me, that's kind of the biggest hell tale, and it also kind of determines on what kind of rods I'm, or what kind of reels I'm using, and how fast I'm picking up that slack uh, in my in my retrieve. To try to trigger those strikes and keep that bait over the structure.
0: So, if you're looking to get more short pops out of it, am I right to assume that you prefer the Pro Dog from Musky Innovations? Or are you still sticking with the straight solid wire?
1: I switched. I, I got. I had the one of the first Pro Dogs. I think it was the first Pro Dog he ever you ever sent to anybody. I was lucky enough to get. And uh, from that day forth, it's pretty much changed everything. For me. And now it's. I pretty much only throw the Pro Dogs. It's got the action that we're looking for. It's got that really good hop, up, that up-down that we're looking for. And like I said, we don't have to worry about working it over anything, so that's always um, always a big plus for us. The only exception would be in the fall, once the fish start pushing in shallower towards the river mouth, and we fish a lot of you know ten to thirteen foot flats. We'll uh, we I use some straight stuff, but a lot of times i I'll always using the pros in an unweighted version, just because they're so much nicer to use. I like the action they have. Uh, you don't worry about tuning them anymore. And especially as a guy, there's nothing worse than getting them, you know, spending two or three minutes getting a, a, a bait running just right than then having a guy ball it up. Just so much time is wasted versus the pro dogs. You just, um, you, know, you know, pop the back hook off the leader and away you go. You can ball it up as many times as you want and the thing still runs pretty. Right? That's uh, it makes for a lot more good cast
0: and a lot less time down. So then, Spencer, talk about you're figure eighting them with with rubber do you do something different than say you would with a bucktail is speed still much of a factor or are you trying to keep a steady speed if you can for guys that are newer to rubber even guys that are experienced for rubber i'm sure they want to learn from you because you're probably one of the better ones in the industry throwing it how what's your technique like on a figure eight yeah
1: it's a lot different um it's just like anything else there's there, there's ins and outs to it if you're if you're really new to it i would tell you to keep it pretty simple and kind of get the heel for it but once you start getting more used to throwing rubber and bringing them into eight, uh, what I actually like to do is I, I hop the bait through the figure eight, kind of like I do in the retrieve. I just kind of fast pulse it. So I'm not giving it long hang time necessarily, but I'm jumping it through a figure eight. And then what I'll do is once I get that fish really fired up and I think he's kind of ready to go on, you know, they always talk about with a bucktail, you want to kind of hang it out of the turn by just kind of slowing it down a little bit, giving it that chance to eat it on that outside turn before you run it you're straight away rather than kind of slowing it down to you know to hang it there i'll actually jump it real quick and then actually you know truly hang it where the bait does sink for just a split second and then run it back through again if i can't get that fish to trigger so i'm always kind of pulsating that bait and kind of hopping it through the eight versus with a bucktail where you don't really have that ability because obviously if you stop even for a second you know the blades are going to stop. The fish is going to lose interest. So it is definitely a lot different figure eight, but it's a different bait. When you when you consider that the, the fish has followed that lure and is interested in that lure via that pull pause that stop go that up down motion, you know it only makes sense that in order to keep that fish's attention and trigger that fish, you got to play on the the action that attracted that fish and got him into the boat in the first place which is why I like to try to keep doing that versus some of your straight retrieve baits, like your bucktails and stuff where that fish followed in four of a straight retrieve motion and that figure eight going, you know, with the turns with, but with the consistent speed with maybe a little bit of a speed up is, is what that fish is looking for.
0: All right. So Spencer, one thing we've kind of gotten away from on the podcast a little bit that we did in much earlier episodes is we always had the guest kind of give a tip that people can use to help hopefully put a few more fish in the net for the coming season or, during the season when it's during the season. But in this instance, it'd be next season. You got something you can offer somebody. It might be more St. Clair specific, but sometimes, you know, people can take those tips and apply them to their own water a different way just to try to get the wheels turning and change their way of thinking a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, for St. Clair, one of the tips I give everybody is that, you know, it's a it's a huge body of water, it gets a lot of pressure. We've definitely worked hard to dial it in. And you know, when, when you're out there, then the few days that you get to fish it, you know, put high percentage baits in the water. Don't try to reinvent the whole wheel on the on the couple days you're here. It's been tried before, it probably doesn't work. And for us, I mean it's bulldogs, it's medusas, and it's big bucktails. For me, you know, the pounders, the regular and husky medusas, and then you know, the last couple of years, the nine over ten husky man bucktails have been on fire as well in the summertime. You know, put high percentage baits in out there. Uh, you know, and let them fish. Don't overthink trying to go through your tackle box. It's not one of those type of body water where you're going to, you know, pull out a twitch bait and all of a sudden start smoking them. And that goes for other lakes as well. I mean, those those three baits there are are, are dynamite lures anywhere you go and are always going to be at the top of the mushy, musky catching spectrum. And, you know, you put those baits in the water in any scenario and, you know, let them fish, wait for your windows, use your electronics to get on fish and you know, they'll, they'll come through for you in the end.
0: Well, I think that'll work out for a good tip for a lot of people. So Spencer, if people are looking for more information on you and your guide service, or looking to book a trip with you after hearing you tonight, you want to lead them down the right direction to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, of course. But so my guide service is Spencer's Angling Adventures. The website is spencersanglingadv, short for adventures.com. And then my email address is spencersanglingadv at gmail cell phone is 419-410-0498. I'll also be at the Milwaukee Muskie Show and the Pennsylvania Muskie Show this year. And uh, other than that, just uh, get in touch with me if you ever can. I'd love to get out in the boat with uh, with anybody that's interested.
0: Brad and Kerry, you want to talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle?
2: Yeah, you can reach us both Facebook and Instagram, as well as checking out our website. And we're the originators of the Flashaboo Bucktail. And the other thing I should maybe mention is that I started an Instagram account for my musky mayhem guide service. So if you get a chance, check that out as well. Love to hear from everybody. We appreciate our customers. Can't say enough about them.
0: And you can see Carrie at the Milwaukee musky expo with her seminar at Sunday at 9 p.m. <laughs> Sorry. I had,
1: I had to Carrie.
0: We went an entire episode without giving you a hard time about that. So I couldn't let that go. Yeah, I know. No seminars from this kid. If anybody wants to know a little bit about Team Rhino Outdoors, you can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on Instagram. You can check us out on Twitter. We do occasionally put out new videos on YouTube. The website address is teamrhinooutdoors.com. And again, we carry many of the baits that Spencer has talked about this evening. I think actually all of them. Some of those really unique trolling baits on Sinclair, we don't carry all that, but we carry a lot of that stuff. Backlash Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, and Overcast. And if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email, which we encourage you to do. We, the last episode, we asked for e- uh, people to give us some feedback, and it's only been a day or so since we put that out, and we've already gotten a lot of good feedback, positive and negative. We had a really good emailer who had a lot of good stuff, and he also had con- some constructive criticism, which hopefully we address some of our issues tonight. And we encourage you to continue to do that. So if you want, send us an email, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook, like our page there. Check us out on Instagram. You can, you know, we got to, we put out some posts randomly on Instagram also. I think that's it. Did I miss anything, Brad, Kerry?
2: I don't think I don't so. Think so. And I think we're doing good. I'd like to thank Spencer, though, for coming out and joining us. He's been a great pro staff member for Muskie Mayhem Tackle for a long time. I appreciate your time, Spencer. Absolutely. Thanks a lot
1: for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks a lot for coming out, Spencer. Have a good night. We'll see you in Milwaukee. All right, thanks. See you
1: guys.